Hello, and welcome to the fifth episode of Fire in My Belly, the only LGBT art history podcast that went on hiatus for like a year and a half. I am your host, and also the most, Catherine Grafham. I am so delighted to be back in the studio, aka my living room, to record another episode. Um, It's been since December 2017, since I made an episode. Um, For context, uh, this was mostly because uh, I ended up getting a teaching position and also a position at a gallery within the same month uh, of December. And the amount of research that I put into the episodes on top of these two jobs were just, it was undoable. So I've decided that I'm going to make this a little easier on myself and only do a smaller amount of research, but really focus on interviews with queer artists about the subject at hand. So I think that will be really interesting um, and honestly funner for me, (laughs) but um, hopefully it's just as great of a listening experience. So today, we are talking about my favorite artist of all time, Francis Bacon. I'm so excited to do this episode. This is probably the person that I wanted to do from the very beginning, and this felt like a great time to sort of bring it back with some, you know, additional pep in my step. So to talk about Francis Bacon with me is artist and longtime friend, Jonathan Vare Duncan. This conversation was a lot of fun, and I felt like provided some really interesting perspective, even for me, on Francis Bacon art and a little bit about his life, too. So for a little bit of backstory about Francis Bacon, he was a self-trained artist who was born in the early 20th century, whose career didn't really pick up um, until the mid to late 20th century after he had been a sex worker, he had um, been a furniture designer, he really sort of had a tumultuous beginning to his life um, where his father really rejected him due to his sexuality Uh, created a lot of daddy issues for him, definitely, that come out in his art. And he sort of shuffled through life until he landed on painting. And um, without really any formal training at all, he sort of started creating these really brutal, visceral paintings um, that started a little bit more surreal, but then ended up kind of becoming more uh, figural in a literal sense. And he took the world by storm by the the mid to late 20th centuries. And he was, um, he's Britain's favorite painter probably from that time, um, even though he was born in Ireland. And you can actually see the recreation of his studio, which is insane and an extreme fire hazard, as it's recreated perfectly in Dublin um, at a museum, which I honestly really, really want to go to. He also went through some serious shit in his life as well. Um, He was abused by his first long-term partner, 
physically and emotionally. His partner ended up destroying a bunch of his paintings as well. And in his second long-term relationship with uh, George Dyer, the night before his major retrospective in Paris, which is, you know, supposed to be the highlight of your career, he found George dead in the bathroom of their hotel and ended up actually going through with the reception of the retrospective like nothing had ever happened and kept completely poised through this extremely uh, tragic event in his life, which is, I think, a testament to his dedication to art, but also, like, the dude was was kind of fucked up. So it's... it's uh, He's a really interesting character. He's notoriously obtuse and really hard to pin down, which is something that Jonathan and I discussed uh, in this conversation. His work influenced me so much at the beginning of my painting career, and he's the sole reason why I wanted to pick up a paintbrush. When I discovered his paintings uh, at the end of high school, I didn't even know you could use paint like that. I didn't know you could paint a person like that. And it really resonated with me and sort of the emotional vulnerability that you can express through painting. I just didn't know it really existed. So I think he was extremely formative for me and a lot of other artists. So without further ado, here's the conversation with Jonathan about Francis Bacon. You're probably the, the, so I wanted to do Francis Bacon and talk about Francis Bacon for the, since the conception of this show, um, because I think for me, and you know, this, um, Francis Bacon is really the reason why I wanted to start painting and was really influential for me way back in the day when I first messaged you on Fur Affinity in 2010, 11? Oh my gosh. Eight years ago, maybe? <laughs> um, oh. So, I, yeah, I remember messaging you and being, I don't even remember exactly what the, like the context was, but I was like, hey, I love Francis Bacon and I love your art, something along those lines. Oh, I must have had Francis Bacon as a favorite artist at the time. Publicly, oh, you know what? You did. That's what it was. Yeah, because you could have the list of favorite artists. And I think you did have Francis Bacon in there. I think wow. that's where I approached that conversation from. Really, I just like wanted you to notice me. So because I was, you know, 18 or whatever and just looked up to you. So Aww. it's true. It's true. Um so you're the you're the person that I wanted to talk to. So I'm curious about your relationship to Francis Bacon's art. Okay. So there was this moment in university, and we're skipping a little bit ahead here, but it's I think a great entry point, where I noticed that there's some sort of cognitive dissonance that happens from Christianity in the arts. I went to mm-hmm. a Christian school for about 17 years and my university was in a racist cornfield in Indiana. 
So we talked often about doing work that will help people get into heaven because you were such a good example. Problem at university. being, yes, at university. Okay. Problem being that you may have noticed that when people are vocal about their Christian identities, it seems to correlate with really shitty artwork. And yeah. I, th- I think that's because they are so concerned about a legalistic interpretation of a God that is by nature abstract and way more expansive than you can wrap your stupid little human brain around. But they're so worried about making it a cookbook of painting Jesus on a cross and then having a subtitle in the painting saying, hey, this is what's happening. You have to say this prayer so you can go to heaven when you die, okay? And that's like the formula the art seems to follow. I, I looked like at describing Francis. it as a cookbook. I think that's great. <laughs> it is. It's totally is because you have to follow the instructions to get the desired outcome. It has to feel right. It has to also like it has to fulfill the obligation of an emotional crutch for people yeah. who don't have good self-esteem or really they just don't trust themselves. You need to do art that's going to offer cultural cohesion to conservative Christian bases by making things that are not challenging. It has to be yeah. a white shampoo commercial Jesus with high cheekbones and blue eyes, and his shoulders have to be covered, which, by the way, I'm not. that's not hyperbolic. In my school, images of Jesus from the Wesleyan Church needed his shoulders covered so they weren't too sexy. And he's sexy Jesus. You can't have a sexy Jesus because what if that's straying from the point? I don't want to think of Jesus being sexy. I just want to think of how much he loves me. But anyway, but he is, is hot. This, like, he, yeah, because he he's blue collar. He works with his hands, but he's still sensitive. He's and, sensitive. Mm, sensitive. And yet he would but, still <laughs> he was still vocally against the biggest religious assholes of his day. Like those mm-hmm. are the only people he lost his shit with. Right. So all this to say you have this bad Christian art and then you have someone like Francis Bacon who is working like tapping into this visceral part of humanity and he's not doing it because of how much he loves jesus explicitly he's doing it because he has a lot of feelings and he's getting them out at lightning speed every single Mm -hmm. night and people are addicted to it so the idea of someone as effective in the art world as francis bacon who is also i i would argue that he's not necessarily like processing and learning from the art, but he's sort of like a conduit. That's kind of how it feels. Yeah. Kind of like how Giger was. Yeah, he's like channeling. Yes, completely channeling. And I, after, yeah, after reading a biography of his, I'm not convinced that he did a lot of processing. I went, oh, this is why I do this. I will work towards a healthier self. Yes, yes. Oh, the art was so good. It's so good. And, And that's something that I think is interesting is that so you're on the note of religion, obviously, uh, through line through his uh, career is the Screaming Popes, which yes. is seen by some as sacrilegious and because they're not nice. Anti. They're not. Well, they're not. Yeah, they're not. Like you said, they're not like pretty or nice or welcoming. But he in interviews, he's he, he's such a asshole in interviews and i love it um because he always skirts around these sort of difficult topics where people will confront him and be like are these anti-religious or are these sort of supposed to be against christianity which you know has outwardly spoken against homosexuality which shocker francis bacon was big gay 
Um, and he's like, no, it's just kind of about the, like, <laughs> it's just about the, like, the process. And, like, <laughs> you, you know, it's just, like, very vague non-answers about it. Oh, Francis. <laughs> and And I don't know if, like, do you think that, do you think that's honest or do you, do you feel an anger or is it more just sort of a visceral, like you said, like a channeling? Oh, the, the question of the honesty of it's really interesting to me because you can have honesty in a lie. You can have honesty in, in not wanting to engage with something. Mm -hmm. I think it's pretty honest in its own way. How Francis often gave different answers in his interviews. Yes there's a kind of frustration he experiences from all of his biographers. And I think there were no more than six people who were really close enough to him in his life that could have, you know, done justice to something objective because everyone else has such a small frame of, of time that they get to interact with him. Mm -hmm. And they were in the middle of the process. All these people are experiencing frustrations because Francis will sometimes double back against what he said. Yes. Or just feel like, he needs to correct a person and they're left being completely confused. Like, why are you correcting me on this thing that you said was really important? <laughs> yeah. Should... Do you think it's intentional or do you think it was, you know, uh, his raging alcoholism? Yeah, I would guess, I would guess his alcoholism doesn't help. <laughs> I would, not. I would also guess that he made choices ever since a young age that he would pursue sensation over mm. cognizance. Yes. Yeah. So is it intentional or not? Yes. <laughs> That's my answer. <laughs> it's both intentional and not intentional, but he certainly set up some rhythms in, in the earlier part of his life that guaranteed that it would not be easy to understand him or pin him down. Yeah. I think that's a great sort of uh, way to look at his whole sort of existence. Mm-hmm was just like you can't really pin him down sort of like floating between a lot of things very difficult to get a straight answer out of him and he also lived to his i think late 80s early 90s did he live that late yeah he lived he he died at a surprisingly late age for how much he drank i was about to say i think it was like liver damage okay yeah 1992 and he was born in um, uh, 1909. So he was in his 80s, I think. Yeah, I think he was in his 80s. But that's, that's shocking. Yeah. That um, he lived to be that long considering how much he drank. He just lived, he lived life so extremely. And yes. this is part of that paradigm shift I was experiencing. Because not only was I learning about the piss Christ or listening mm -hmm. to rappers making fun of Christianity who are way better than Christian rappers are worshiping the Lord. But there's also Francis Bacon who, despite everything still lived a pretty decently long life, made this huge influence on the world and was just so unapologetically himself yeah. that I felt remiss if I didn't dig into that deeper. And it became mm -hmm. the subject of the end of my modern art class I had to unpack why Francis Bacon is is more important to me in creating better work than anyone I know from, you know, from Christianity. Because I'm definitely not going to count people taking church commissions. 
and, and how like, is that received? Uh, my my teacher was cool with it, but oh. he was he was also fired later for how would I put this? He made students uncomfortable because he held them to a higher standard. So <laughs> too harsh. I wouldn't say or... I wouldn't say too harsh. He's the kind of guy where you had to ask him for help. You had if you didn't understand yeah. something, and you probably wouldn't at first, you would have to you would have to ask him what's going on with this moment in history, what's going on with your preferences as a teacher, and right. here are my preferences as an art student. What do I need to know? So he's the kind of guy that can handle Francis Bacon because he's already loopy himself, just like me. He is already an abstract thinker, just like me. But that doesn't fit well into an art program where you have to pass students easily and make them feel yes. really nice about being yeah. double majors of graphic design and photography because they're on the volleyball team and they need to do something. So they figured art would be easy. Yeah. And that's I think that kind of sums up uh, art in higher education. Yeah. In, in total. <laughs> yes, very sadly. And they just need classes about what to do with your daddy issues and your alcoholism and how to unpack that with art, because that would be, that'd be a great class that I think many people would want to take. And it'd be the most Francis Bacon thing. I was about like to if, say, Francis Bacon could teach that class. If he was, yes. if he was yeah, he, he is like an anthropomorphization of daddy issues. Yeah. Everyone he dated was because of the sexual frustrations he had towards his father. And yeah, kind of weird, weird it, shit too. What was even weirder is when he was with this guy who was um, one of the many super rich people, I guess, period. When he was interacting with this person and they were dating for a while, everyone thought that this guy was older, but Francis was actually older. Was he's that got, George like, Dyer? Or... Was D- George Dyer the one that jumped out of a window? He... George Dyer died, committed suicide before his... Uh... Uh, retrospective. Okay, so it must. If it wasn't, is that Peter? I think Peter Lacey is the other major one. Oh man, I can't remember. It's been. I so can't weird. remember. It's hard because they're all kind of weird, fucked up <laughs> <Yeah>. relationships. <laughs> yeah, it just it blurs together in my head. But this, I I really do think if Francis Bacon were my student, what would I want him to know? What would I want his relationship to be to his art? How would I want him to live his life? Because he's, you know, he's a bird that can't be caged on one level. But I also feel heartbroken to see an incredible art career that was at the expense of someone just like torturing themselves over and over again. Again, eager comes to mind. Yeah, that's really loaded. That feel. That's like. That feels very uh relatable for me personally (laughs) yeah i feel like that's been my like art career so far it's just like me torturing myself over and over again so you too for your personal work have like a a bacon-esque level of self-flagellation in your creative process oh absolutely i think i kind of i don't know if i learned it from him but there's sort of a like uh i wouldn't describe my work is like violent in the way that Francis Bacon's is, but it's, mm-hmm. it's aggressive. Yes. It's a, yeah. Self-aggression. Yeah. The, the fact that you are unpacking those themes with self portraits too. 
Oh. Yeah. It's a... Uh, That's brutal. Yeah, it sucks. It I, fucking sucks. <laughs> I don't know if you saw any of my personal work. That was the series I did called I Am Anima, but it was unpacking the relationships I had after my divorce. Mm. And Are, are they self-portraits? Yes. Yeah, I think I've seen some. And these were... These were self-portraits that are not like just a face portrait, but Mm. they're figures that are supposed to illustrate the feeling and the experience of a whole relationship, as unfair of an assignment as that may be. And in doing the art statements of it, not only were the pieces hard to draw or paint, the art statements were so bad I would routinely relapse and just spiral from having to type out something. And it would take me a week of typing and I'd want to kill myself literally and... Oh my goodness. I, I don't even know sometimes if I feel better when it's done. I just know I have to do it no. regardless. Yep. That's exactly like, I think that's uh, definitely something for me where it's just, I, I think it also, I started making art at a time where if I hadn't found uh, like something, I would have died. And I, yeah, I would have killed myself because it was just like, I was headed down such a rough path that like art became that in, in one way comfort and in another way, sort of another, like another form of like a self punching bag, like a way to take it out on myself in a way that's not uh, upsetting for other people. And it's not directly harmful to like my physical being. Yeah, And, like, some of that practice still resonates. And it feels shitty, but you feel like you still have to do it. Like, it just has to get out. Why? This makes me think a few different things. The first being that, of course, we have the stereotype of artists being queer, sensitive. Tortured. Yeah, tortured, poor, wanting to kill themselves. It makes me assume that at least you you and I, we have to do this stuff as a means of self-preservation. And yeah. it's, I guess, the kinds of people who feel that way are going to prioritize that in their lives because they really don't get a choice otherwise. They just have yeah. to do that. Yeah. It's like a, it's a necessity in some ways. It's like a survival mechanism. But it's so weird that it, it takes the shape of, in your case, taking oil paints and smearing it around on a flat surface that's like taking taking the shape of your likeness. Like if we just step back for a second and look at that, like what? <laughs> How is this happening? Like what? I'm drawing, <laughs> I'm drawing animal people that are yeah. a manifestation of my Christian guilt and sexual frustrations. Yeah. Lots of sort of things are coming together to um, make a beautiful storm. <laughs> and other people are like, yeah, I get this. Like, I feel this on on a on a like internal level. Just unpacking all of that, but without having to say any words. Yep, it's kind of an amazing. Uh, it's an amazing mental dance. Yeah, because it's it's trusting yourself with what you're going to discover if you paint those things you're afraid to paint that you still mm. feel like you really want to. And yeah, ooh, that's real. Bacon never, as far as I'm aware, had that conversation with himself. No. He was just born to do it. 
Yeah, or he didn't. I think like there's no way that like he did the these works for uh however many years, you know, 50 years or whatever, 40 years maybe. And didn't have those thoughts at least to himself. I think he was so like obtuse in his like relationships with at least the public that he wouldn't never have that open conversation, but like, come on, like, come on. Like you, you got daddy issues. You got anger. You, you've been abused. You've been in many bad situations. He was a sex worker. Like there's, there's, there's trauma there. There's probably, yeah, some Christian guilt. And there's no way that, you know, that doesn't feed in, even if it is unconscious, like it has to sort of make its way in. And it's not all about the process and like the visuals and sort of creating this like postmodernist or modernist, uh, like bullshit way of like, it's art about making art. Like it's, it's, it has to, it's, come on, like it's, it's more than that. Like, I don't buy it. I, I do not. Oh, okay, okay I, I, I'm going to be honest with my feelings. When I hear art for art's sake, I get angry. Like in just, what way? Like if someone's saying, you know, what about just creating art for creating art? And it feels like a person doesn't want to dig into anything happening in context. Yeah. When I hear that from them. And it, it actually makes me angry because whenever you look at art, you are looking at a human being. You are experiencing someone's life life in an abstract way and they have a filter of what they're choosing to to draw or paint or compose or write but that's never that's that's never just for the sake of it and if you're in a position where you get to do the thing just because you enjoy it that's amazing and there's a discussion needs to happen there too and in school and many places outside of school after graduating i feel like that was the standard to say Mm. but I like it and then never question the things that yeah you know you're afraid to paint or or the person you need to be I guess yeah it I I think um as an educator it's hard making you can't make anyone have that sort of level of self-reflection it has to be from them. You can kind of like guide them and sort of walk them into uh, a mental state, which like they can express some of those things that maybe like are, are deeper, but it's hard. You can't force anybody to draw that stuff out. And like, it's, it's hard in that sense, but at the same time, I'm like art for art's sake is what like, or art about making art is like what bores me about modernism. And like, really, I can't like modernism is like one of my least favorite movements because it's sorry. I'm sorry. Um, do you teach? I do teach. I teach college freshman fundamentals of visual art. (laughs) So it's, you know, 18, 19 year olds who are taking a, um, elective course about making art because they want an easy grade. And then I'm like, okay, but let's do 
artwork about like systemic oppression. Okay, guys. <laughs> yes. Like, let's be sort of yeah. I I, I cause them to ref- or I uh, you know I have assignments that they have no choice but to reflect on how art interacts with politics and yes. um the, the world around them to make to help them understand that like this can be a tool for a therapeutic tool or you know mm-hmm. it can be culturally relevant and important still and kind of getting them to see that whether or not it sticks kind of hard to say i'm so glad you brought up teaching because when thinking of francis bacon this morning and what made him attractive to me it's that he got to do what he wanted to and when you're you know a younger artist that's the dream i would yeah. i want to i want to do what i want to do and then get paid to be a professional myself yes and yeah. i get i get mentees regularly who have that desire just like you know just like i did and still do have for myself but when i would ask them what do you have to say with mm. your work what what's so important that you got to get it out of your system with with pieces and across the board they don't have an answer ready i think they that's okay though i do think it's okay but it means that that should be their assignment to yes. live life it should not be their assignment to be like i'm i'm going to be a professional fine artist doing what they want that's kind of like in my opinion missing the point because it's it's basically, you know, how you were saying earlier, you, you can't teach certain things. I can't teach curiosity to my mentees. I yeah, can exactly. show them the rewards of it, but I cannot teach them. And they, they need to be brave and they need to be curious and yeah. courteous. And if they're, they are those three things, their lives are guaranteed to be interesting, probably a little dangerous, but so much great art will come out of that if you just show Yay. up. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> I think... Um... I think, like you said, like, uh, you know, I, I always say I wish, like, painting a still life of fruit was enough for me. <laughs> like, and that's not, like, that's no shade. Like, that's that's real. I really do yeah. wish. I would be happier. I would make more money. I would, like, I'd probably have a more successful career. If that was enough for me. And, and if that's, but who would you be too? That's so exactly right. Like I've considered uh, making alternative art identities for the, these kind of artworks, just so I can like have like a vicarious life of a boring still life painter. Um, but I did on, on some level, I'm like, you know, it shit would just be easier if I could paint some happy stuff and like make some landscapes and flowers and stuff. And I, but I know that I would still find a way to to make flowers really depressing. This reminds me of Goya's commissions of royalty yeah. and how yeah. they've got that they've got that unease in the background <laughs> yeah. all the time. Well, Goya was a weirdo. So <laughs> he was a weird, fucking weird dude. Mm-hmm. His art's very strange. I feel like actually Bacon's kind of like a a 20th century Goya in a way. Yes, I feel that. Yeah. So I actually repeated modern art, and for my I did um, Bacon for my first year and Goya for my second year for my mm-hmm. um, my term paper, and they have a lot of 
they have a lot of similarities where they were just intuitively doing things that were uh a little unhinged and yeah. i don't i don't know if i don't think bacon ever had a moment where he was bedridden for three months and couldn't mm. talk and couldn't hear anything it was just like staring up at a ceiling and then you know doing even creepier art goya but, definitely I mean, had that, that, would, that would make yeah <laughs> that kind of paralysis would definitely do something to you bacon didn't need that i guess no i think his life was that and it does make me wonder when talking about the interviews, how intentional it was that Bacon skirted subjects. I wonder how much language he had at his disposal to unpack his feelings. In about his identity or yeah. his life or. Yeah. His, his identity and his feelings. I wonder how much of it was actually ignoring certain confrontations versus <clears throat> just lacking language completely. Right. Yeah, there's there is a lack of I mean, up until recently there was a lack of language, especially around, you know, queer identity like I f- I find healing. And maybe that would have like aided him in some sense cuz he didn't have sort of a a 21st century way of looking at things. I mean, it's hard to say how much you can trust his interviews, but he did say that I, I'm pretty sure I remember him saying at one point that he, they hated the fact that he was gay Mm. and that he like, it was upsetting for him. And it was like a point of trauma that he like, didn't want to be, or he was like angry about it, which is, I think I think when you look at some pieces in that light too, the way he's sort of uh painted himself or his like pe- his partners, it's like ooh. <laughs> <laughs> A little mm, little bit of anger or aggression or self-hatred going on there. You know, as much as I've thought of Bacon, it's easy for me to forget that he had that relationship to sexuality because he's constantly in spaces where his work is valued and it's it's easy for me to just forget that because i'm assuming oh there'll be all these cosmopolitan patrons of the arts and then completely fine and that's not but not in the not in the you know 70s and 60s and and even then i'm sure that today queerness is still a novelty for people to I don't know. People aren't bored of it yet, and I'll be really excited for when it, people are bored of queerness. I'll be jumping for joy that it's normal. <laughs> I yes, I can I can confirm that it is definitely still a novelty for a lot of people, based on sort of the emails I get oh. <laughs> and the sort of opportunities I get invited to. Oh, Where I'm like, I get it. You're inviting me because I'm the trans woman that does the painting. Um, which is complicated. I will be a little sad when it's over because, like, I'll probably make less money or, like, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> that sort of edge. Oops. That sort of edge is gone, even though I hate it and it feels tokenizing and gross. But I'm like, just pay me. 
Like, just pay me. What I don't care at this point. Like, whatever. I don't. I'll be your novelty. I'll be your your token. Just give me. Give me something in return. Sorry. Twenty nineteen is so weird. Yeah, it's 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 monetizing everything that you you can. I've been joking. It's not a joke that millennial millennial culture is monetizing your divorce or your your trauma. It's being told by your mother, sister, and ex wife that you should go to pray the gateway place, and then Mm. being like, "Can I make money off of this?" Yeah, and then making money off of it, which is can I make a really funny YouTube video about this? Yeah, I can't turn that part of my brain off. <laughs> it's hard. I've I started monetizing this podcast, and then when I now that I've come back to it, I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa! Like, let's let's slow down and like take a breather. You don't need to make money. Your hobby doesn't need to make you money. Like, it could just be a hobby. Like, I'm like, how can I monetize my cat? Or like, <laughs> you know, yeah, it's awful. It's Terrible nightmare capitalism. But um, I thought it was great are. that everyone can make money doing stuff like that. Yeah, gig economy is so good. It's so liberating. Woo. On the topic of money, how do you feel about Francis Bacon being the most expensive painting ever sold? Like I actually one of his, didn't know that. Yes, one of his uh, works, I believe, is is still the most expensive, uh, expensive painting ever sold. I think it's the portrait of George Dyer or a triptych of oh. George Dyer. It feels like um, you're. Oh, you're, no, it's, sorry, Lucian Freud. That's what it was. Oh, it was a portrait of Lucian Freud, or one of yes. Lucian Freud's works. Yes, oh, one, okay. a portrait of Lucian Freud the the idea of fine art conjuring and it feels like conjuring up those kinds of prices it's sort of like you are doing a stock exchange with mm-hmm. with receipts of people's lives yeah oof put that That's on a fucking put that on a t-shirt <laughs> and sell it <laughs> i could make money off of that feeling I could make money off of that yeah <laughs> off of that crushing realization about <laughs> commercial fine art you are paying to play to have this commemoration based on this insular culture of the fine arts in this insular market it's saying this happened we think this is valuable i'm throwing millions of dollars at it and the idea of making it something that's so so grossly monetized that you can't even wrap your head around the numbers anymore. It yeah, reduces like sublime. Yeah. It, it reduces a person, a person's being in their history. I feel like it diminishes it by throwing so much money at it. Mm. Weirdly enough, it shouldn't do that. You should think money, good money buy big thing, but it feels like it's diminishing it somehow. Or it feels, uh, it feels like it's not about it's it's not about the art so in that way that yeah it kind of diminishes it because it could be it could kind of really be any piece it's not about the actual enjoyment of the art it's about the fact that it's a francis bacon of lucian freud that those things spiral into a bajillion dollar signs 
because the like formula for how expensive the art is is correct. It's a good formula. It's not about the actual integrity. And <clears throat> you know, those the paintings that go for you know, multi 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 millions aren't even, you know, they're sitting in a warehouse offshore of an airport as a tax haven for billionaires. Yeah. Which is an insane string of words. Yeah, it is. It's taking, it's taking, okay. I define art as any exchange of humanity from more than one person. Well, so that's like, I mean, if you, if you take a dump in the right spot by that definition, it counts as art. So, or at least on the right surface, on the right surface. Yeah. So this, this idea of taking the thing and removing the communication from it, from just treating it as a, as a shorthand for lots of dollar signs yeah. in private as a tax haven is just the least artistic thing I've heard. Yeah. It's kind of like, it's almost like a currency. Like it's like gold at this point where it's, where it's like a, yeah, it's just a currency basically because it's, it's too, it's to evade taxes and it's to move money around, you know, secretly. Which is, like you said, the least artistic thing that I could imagine. If I learned that a painting of mine sold for $50 million, I would, I would immediately start thinking of ways to get to the painting and to burn it. Yeah, like how do I destroy it? Did you know about, I don't know if you knew about this with Francis Bacon and his collectors, but he'd be working on you know, on his paintings in the wee hours of the day. And his collectors, if they wanted to buy something, they would have to they would have to run into his studio and take the paintings out because he had a reputation for ruining them, them afterwards. Yeah. Yep. Even when they're hanging up, they were installed in places, he would still like smear them out with mineral God. spirits or something because he didn't like how they looked while everyone's freaking out. And yeah. Even though I, I used to think that's disrespectful to take these patrons and do this. But with if those kinds of numbers are that high, I say good on you, Francis. You're doing what the yeah. world needs. I resonate with that so hard. And I wish I had the gall. Maybe maybe if I ever become like, you know, more established. I will totally do that. Like, absolutely. I vibe with that so hard. That's what I want to do. I want to throw... I mean, I've, I've burned my paintings and I've smashed them and throw them in the dumpster and totally destroyed pieces that people would have bought or people would have enjoyed because I couldn't handle it. Mm-hmm. Um, but doing it in front of people, like in a space while it's hanging up, I love that. Like, I think that's amazing. And I think, like, good on you. You know, like, that just shows he's not in it for... He's not in it for the money or whatever. He was just, like, so... So intense. Like, just, like, such a... Like, such a personality. And, like, an unstoppable force that... Mm -hmm. He would, he would do that. If he was a person so strongly living life on his own terms, and if he was, you know, as we said, a conduit, 
for all these strong energies. I do wonder how much I can reduce that, but like his paintings, there's always that nebulous, how would I even put it? I don't want to say abstract over and over again, but he's he's harder to pin down than a lot of people. Yeah. And there's there's no one like I, him. Yeah, I guess I'm glad I don't understand him. I'm glad we can relate to him in little in little chunks, getting little glimpses, but I'm glad that he's just so he's so powerful that all we can do is experience him retroactively. Yeah. And he I think that kind of also adds to his like his aura or like his myth. Yeah. That he's like on a an unattainable unstoppable force of making really destructive artwork. I don't even know why I relate to it, but it's just so it's so visceral that it like transcends language and it just the communication he has with the single breaststroke is I don't think anyone can ever copy it. I would assume that you and I relate to it because it's at the very least honest. Yeah, it's very honest. And the world needs that for sure. Fine art needs that. Definitely. I need it personally. Definitely. And it's genuine. It's authentic. We should all resolve to be as genuine and authentic as Francis Bacon. But not as unhealthy. Heavily (laughs) alcoholic. (laughs) How did he not get like freaking lead poisoning or... You know, like his studio, which you can go see in in Dublin as it's recreated to perfection in Dublin. Um, Like there was no windows and like it's like turpentine everywhere and like, like huge fire hazard health risk. Like, how did he not? How did he live till he was 80? It's amazing. Classic Francis. Yeah. Kind of defying all... All uh, logic. He would have lived to 125 if he took care of himself, probably. Yeah, maybe he would have, because uh, he died the year before I was born, so. Oh, you're just a kid. Thanks. <laughs> I'm just baby. <laughs> I'm just baby. <laughs> uh, okay. Francis, Francis had a baby face. He did. He really kind of, he looks like, um... He looks like a uh, Renaissance painting of a baby. Oh! Like an early Renaissance painting of a baby. Like when they're not around babies, but they got to paint one? Yes, and they painted him like old men. That's what his face looks like, unfortunately. I'm so sorry, Francis. Well, on that note... (laughs) (laughs) Well, on that note, I think this is sort of Rachel's natural conclusion here. I agree. (laughs) I'm honored again that you you want to talk about Francis Bacon with yes, me. Yes, I couldn't think of anyone else that I would want to talk about Francis Bacon with, and I think this has been a delightful and insightful conversation and one that I thoroughly enjoyed. It makes me want to create more. Right now, I'm like, ooh, yeah, like bitch, like I'm gonna go swivel my chair around to my studio, which is also in my living room, and well, same. Yeah. And uh, it makes some art, mm-hmm. and then cry. 
but I have a meeting, so I can't really do that. But yeah. Well, thank you again for having me, Kat. Well, thank you for coming on. I'm so excited that this is going to be the first episode of the return Ooh. of the podcast. Well, I hope it's a good note for everyone. Me too. I think it will be. I think people will enjoy it. And if they don't, fuck them. Yeah, fuck all of you. Peace out, bitches. Fuck you all. Thank you for listening. Fuck you all. Thank you for listening. <laughs>